Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from The Wonder Book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Chimera. Oh, the mischief and mischief and mischief that this naughty creature did. With its flaming breath, it could set a forest on fire or burn up a field of grain, or for that matter, a village with all its fences and houses. It laid waste to the whole country round about and used to eat up people and animals alive and cook them afterward in the burning oven of its stomach. Mercy on us, little children. I hope neither you or I will ever happen to meet a chimera. Well, the hateful beast, if a beast we can anywise call it, was doing all these horrible things, it so chanced that Bellerophon came to that part of the world on a visit to the king. The king's name was Iobates, and Lycia was the country which he ruled over. Bellerophon was one of the bravest youths in the world, and desired nothing so much as to do some valiant and beneficent deed, such as would make all mankind admire and love him. In those days, the only way for a young man to distinguish himself was by fighting battles, either with the enemies of his country, or with wicked giants, or with troublesome dragons, or with wild beasts, when he could find nothing more dangerous to encounter. King Iobates, perceiving the courage of his youthful visitor, proposed to him to go and fight the Chimera, which everyone else was afraid of, and which, unless it should soon be killed, was likely to convert Lycia into a desert. Bellerophon hesitated not a moment, but assured the king that he would either slay this dreaded Chimera or perish in the attempt. But in the first place, as the monster was so prodigiously swift, he bethought himself that he should never win the victory by fighting on foot. The wisest thing he could do, therefore, was to get the very best and fleetest horse that end could anywhere be found. And what other horse in all the world was half so fleet as the marvelous horse Pegasus, who had wings as well as legs, and was even more active in the air than on the earth? To be sure, a great many people denied that there was any such horse with wings, and said that the stories about him were all poetry and nonsense. But as wonderful as it appeared, Bellerophon believed that Pegasus was a real steed, and hoped he might himself be fortunate enough to find him, and once fairly mounted on his back, he would be able to fight the Chimera at better advantage. And this was the purpose with which he had traveled from Lycia to Greece, and had brought the beautifully ornamented bridle in his hand. It was an enchanted bridle. If he could only succeed at putting the golden bit into the mouth of Pegasus, the winged horse would be submissive, and would Odin Bellerophon for his master, and fly whithersoever he might choose to turn the rein. But indeed, it was a weary and anxious time, while Bellerophon waited and waited for Pegasus, in hopes that he would come and drink at the fountain of Pyrene. He was afraid lest King Iobates should imagine that he had fled from the Chimera. It pained him, too, to think how much mischief the monster was doing, while he himself, instead of fighting with it, was compelled to sit idly poring over the bright waters of Pyrene as they gushed out of the sparkling sand. And as Pegasus came thither so seldom in these latter years, and scarcely alighted there more than once in a lifetime, Bellerophon feared that he might grow an old man and have no strength left in his arms nor courage in his heart before the winged horse would appear. 
Oh, how heavily passes the time while an adventurous youth is learning to do his part in life and gather in the harvest of his renown. How hard it is a lesson to wait. Our life is brief, and how much of it is spent in teaching us only this. Well, it was for Bellerophon that the gentle child had grown so fond for him and was never weary of keeping him company. Every morning, the child gave him a new hope to put in his bosom instead of yesterday's withered one. Dear Bellerophon, he would cry, looking up hopefully into his face, I think we shall see Pegasus today. And at length, if it had not been for the little boy's unwavering faith, Bellerophon would have given up all hope and would have gone back to Lycia and done his best to slay the Chimera without the help of the winged horse. In that case, poor Bellerophon would have been at least terribly scorched by the creature's breath, and most probably would have been killed and devoured. No one should ever try to fight an earthborn chimera, unless he can first get upon the back of an aerial steed. One morning, the child spoke to Bellerophon even more hopefully than usual. "'Dear, dear Bellerophon,' cried he, "'I know not why it is, but I feel if we should certainly see Pegasus today.' And all that day he would not stir a step from Bellerophon's side. So they ate a crust of bread together and drank some of the water of the fountain. In the afternoon, there they sat, and Bellerophon had thrown his arm around the child, who likewise had put one of his little hands into Bellerophon's. The latter was lost in his own thoughts, and was fixing his eyes vacantly on the trunks of the trees that overshadowed the fountain, and on the grapevines that clambered among their branches. But the gentle child was gazing down into the water, he was grieved, for Bellerophon's sake, that the hope of another day should be deceived like so many before it, and two or three quiet teardrops fell from his eyes and mingled with what were to be said the many tears of Pyrene when she wept for her slain children. But when he least thought of it, Bellerophon felt the pressure of the child's little hand and heard a soft, almost breathless whisper, "'See there, dear Bellerophon, there is an image in the water.' The young man looked down into the dimpling mirror of the fountain, and saw what he took to be the reflection of a bird which seemed to be flying at a great height in the air, with a gleam of sunshine on its snowy or silvery wings. "'What a splendid bird it must be,' said he, "'and how very hard it looks, though it must be really flying higher than the clouds.' "'It makes me tremble,' whispered the child. "'I am afraid to look up into the air. It is very beautiful, and yet I dare only look at its image in the water.' Dear Bellerophon, do you not see that it is no bird? It is the winged horse Pegasus. Bellerophon's heart began to throb. He gazed keenly upward, but could not see the winged creature, whether bird or horse, because then, just then, it had plunged into the fleecy depths of a summer cloud. It was but a moment, however, before the object reappeared, sinking lightly down out of the cloud, though it's still at a vast distance from the earth. Bellerophon caught the child in his arms and shrank back with him, so they were both hidden among the thick shrubbery which grew all around the fountain. Not that he was afraid of any harm, but he dreaded lest, if Pegasus caught a glimpse of them, that he would fly far away and alight in some inaccessible mountain top, for it really was the winged horse. After they had expected him so long, he was coming to quench his thirsts in the waters of Pyrene. Nearer and nearer came the aerial wonder, flying in great circles, as you may have seen a dove when about to alight. Downward came Pegasus, in those wide, sweeping circles, which grew narrower and narrower still, as he gradually approached the earth. The nigher the view of him, the more beautiful he was, and the more marvelous the sweep of his silvery wings. 
at last with so light a pressure as to hardly bend the grass about the fountain or imprint a hoof tramp in the sands of its margin, he alighted and, stooping his wild head, began to drink. He drew in the water with a long and pleasant sigh and tranquil pauses of enjoyment, and then another draught, and another, and another. For nowhere in this world, or up among the clouds, did Pegasus love any water as he loved this of Pyrenees. And when his first was slaked, he cropped a few of the honey blossoms of the clover, delicately tasting them, but not caring to make a hearty meal, because the herbage just beneath the clouds on the lofty sides of Mount Heligon suited his palate better than this ordinary grass. After thus drinking to his heart's content, and in his dainty fashion, condescending to take a little food, the winged horse began to caper to and fro, and dance, if it were, out of mere idleness and sport. There was never more playful creature than this very Pegasus. So there he frisked, in a way that it delights me to think about, fluttering his great wings as lightly as ever did a linnet, and running little races, half on earth and half in air, and to which I know not whether to call a flight or a gallop. When a creature is perfectly able to fly, he sometimes chooses to run, just for the pastime of the thing. And so did Pegasus, though it cost him some little trouble to keep his hooves so near the ground. Bellerophon, meanwhile, holding the child's hand, peeped forth from the shrubbery, and thought there was never any sight so beautiful as this, nor a horse's eyes so wild and spirited as those of Pegasus. It seemed a sin to think of bridling him and riding on his back. Once or twice Pegasus stopped and sniffed the air, pricking up his ears, tossing his head, and turning it on all sides, as if he partly suspected some mischief or other. Seeing nothing, however, and hearing no sound, he soon began his antics again. At length, not that he was weary, only idle and luxurious, Pegasus folded his wings and lay down on the soft green turf. But being too full of aerial life to remain quiet for many moments together, he soon rolled over on his back with his four slender legs in the air. It was beautiful to see him, this one solitary creature, whose mate had never been created, but who needed no companion, and living a great many hundred years was as happy as the centuries were long. The more he did things as mortal horses are accustomed to do, the less earthly and more wonderful he seemed. Bellerophon and the child almost held their breath, partly from a delightful awe, but still more because they dreaded lest the slightest stir or murmur should send him up with the speed of an arrow flight into the farthest blue of the sky. Finally, when he had had enough of rolling over and over, Pegasus turned himself about, and indolently, like any other horse, put out his forelegs in order to rise from the ground. And Bellerophon, who had guessed he would do so, darted suddenly from the thicket and leaped astride of his back. Yes, he sat there on the back of the winged horse. But what a bound did Pegasus make, when, for the first time, he felt the weight of a mortal man upon his loins. A bound, indeed. Before he had time to draw a breath, Bellerophon found himself five hundred feet aloft and still shooting upward, while the winged horse snorted and trembled with terror and anger. Upward he went, up, 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 till he plunged into the cold, misty bosom of a cloud, at which, only a little while before, Bellerophon had been gazing and fancying it a very pleasant spot. Then again, out of the heart of the cloud, Pegasus shot down like a thunderbolt, as if he meant to dash both himself and his rider headlong against a rock. Then he went through about a thousand of the wildest caprioles that had ever been performed by either a bird or a horse. 
I cannot tell you half that he, what he did. He skimmed straight forward and sideways and backwards. He reared himself erect with his forelegs on a wreath of mist and his hind legs on nothing at all. He flung out his heels behind and put down his head between his legs with his wings pointing right upward. At about two miles height above the earth, he turned a somerset so that Bellerophon's heels were where his head should have been and he seemed to look down into the sky instead of up. He twisted his head about and looking Bellerophon in the face with fire flashing from his eyes made a terrible attempt to bite him. He fluttered his pinions so wildly that one of the silver feathers was shaken out and floating earthward was picked up by the child who kept it as long as he lived in memory of Pegasus and Bellerophon. But the latter, who you may judge was as good a horseman as ever galloped, had been watching his opportunity, and at the last clapped the golden bit of the enchanted bridle between the winged steed's jaws. No sooner was this done than Pegasus became as manageable as if he had taken food all his life out of Bellerophon's hand. To speak what I really feel, it was almost a sadness to see so wild a creature grow suddenly so tame, and Pegasus seemed to feel it so likewise. He looked round to Bellerophon, with tears in his beautiful eyes, instead of the fire which so recently flashed from them. But when Bellerophon patted his head, and spoke a few authoritative yet kind and soothing words, another look came into the eyes of Pegasus, for he was glad at heart, after so many lonely centuries, to have found a companion and a master. Thus it is always with winged horses, and with all such wild and solitary creatures. If you can catch and overcome them, it is the surest way to win their love. While Pegasus had been doing his utmost to shake Bellerophon off his back, he had flown a very long distance, and they had come within sight of a lofty mountain by the time the bit was in his mouth. Bellerophon had seen this mountain before and knew it to be Helicon, on the summit of which was the winged horse's abode. Thither... After looking gently into his rider's face, as to if to ask leave, Pegasus now flew, and alighting, waited patiently until Bellerophon should please to dismount. The young man accordingly leaped from his steed's back, but still held him fast by the bridle. Meeting his eyes, however, he was so affected by the gentleness of his aspect, and by the thought of the free life which Pegasus had heretofore lived, that he could not bear to keep him a prisoner, if he really desired his liberty. Obeying this generous impulse, he slipped the enchanted bridle off the head of Pegasus and took the bit from his mouth. "'Leave me, Pegasus,' he said. "'Either leave me or love me.' In an instant, the winged horse shot almost out of sight, soaring straight upward from the summit of Mount Helicon. Being long after sunset, it was now twilight on the mountaintop, and dusky evening all over the country round about. But Pegasus flew so high that he overtook the departed day and was bathed in the upper radiance of the sun. Ascending higher and higher, he looked like a bright speck, and at last could no longer be seen in the hollow waste of the sky. And Bellerophon was afraid he should never behold him more. But while he was lamenting his own folly, the bright speck reappeared and drew nearer and nearer until it descended lower than the sunshine. And behold, Pegasus had come back. After this trial, there was no more fear of the winged horses making his escape. He and Bellerophon were friends and put loving faith in one another. That night they lay down and slept together with Bellerophon's arm around the neck of Pegasus, not as a caution, but for kindness. And they awoke at peep of day and bade one another good morning, each in his own language. 
In this manner, Bellerophon and the wondrous steed spent several days and grew better acquainted and fonder of each other all the time. They went on long aerial journeys and sometimes ascended so high that the earth looked hardly bigger than the moon. They visited distant countries and amazed the inhabitants who thought the beautiful young man on the back of the winged horse must have come down out of the sky. A thousand miles a day is no more than an easy space for the fleet Pegasus to pass over. Bellerophon was delighted with this kind of life, and would have liked nothing better than to live always in the same way, aloft in the clear atmosphere, for it was always sunny weather up there, however cheerless and rainy it might be in the lower region. But he could not forget the horrible chimera, which he had promised King Iobates to slay. So at last, when he had become well accustomed to feats of horsemanship in the air, and could manage Pegasus with the least motion of his hand, and had taught him to obey his voice, he determined to attempt the performance of this perilous adventure. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends. Happy reading.